Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So the first question is, last week on a pro-dependence group with Natalie, she shared a quote from your book. We are all wounded in one way or another. No one makes it to adult life without some well-earned emotional and psychological battle scars. Some of us have more of these scars than others, of course, and that's okay. It doesn't mean we're inherently broken or unlovable. It simply means we are more likely to bond with people who are similarly wounded because these are 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 our people. What did you mean by this? On the face value, it appears to be consistent with codependency and many of us who consider ourselves healthy and undamaged were surprised out of all the quotes in the books. This is what she shared. Can't say for what Natalie, but please, this is a great opportunity. Thank you so much for asking this. Well, I don't want to go through the whole topic of what is prodependence and what is that all about. Let's just say that I have a, a strong difference with this concept of codependency. And codependency basically says there is something wrong with me for being with you. There's something wrong with me that is the reason I picked you. And if I can just work out my own issues about why I picked you and what's wrong with me, um, then I'll either pick a better person or I will have redder boundaries with you, something like that. And the whole intention of codependency treatment understanding is to say that how I am acting with you is a direct mirror of the trauma I had as a childhood, in a, as a child. Therefore, if I don't work out my own trauma, you're gonna you're gonna relapse, or you know, our relationship will go sideways, or my caregiving and caretaking will take over my life, something like that. And uh, and I came along and said, I don't think that's right. I think that partners love us and they love us even though they're seeing the worst of us and they understand that sometimes it's going to be difficult and that doesn't mean you let go of someone and, uh, and they struggle to hold on to us and that should never be pathologized. No one should ever pro-dependence. No, no one should ever say to you, what was wrong with you for hanging with that person or look at all of the things you did to make their addiction worse or you should have known better than to pick that person. I mean, why would you put the responsibility of the problem on the person who loves them? I just think we're incredibly loving, giving people, I'll answer the question in a minute, but I wanna say about pro-dependence, I don't agree with the idea that when someone is struggling with an addict who they love, whether it's their child or their husband or their wife, or, and I'm talking about all addictions, could be alcohol, could be drugs, could be gambling, doesn't matter, and our issues. I don't see any circumstances under which that loving person should ever bear or be told that they are responsible for the, the addict's behavior. There is nothing that I could ever do or has ever been in my life, or has ever has anything to do with my past that could make you drink or act out. And no matter what our problems are, you and we may be miserable and they may be completely buried in my childhood trauma that may be causing the entire misery in our relationship. That's true. But you could leave me, you could get a divorce, you could go find a therapist or play golf. There are a lot of things that you can do if you're unhappy in your relationship than simply, um, uh, act out uh, and leave a partner uh, devastated. So prodependence is a concept that supports love, does not ask partners to 
be in any way introspective as to why they picked this person or what's wrong with them for having stayed with this person and simply speaks to love as the under underlying reason why partners put up with so much shit because truly they see the hope for who we have been or who we could be. And that's what y'all are holding on to. That's very different than codependence. However, she had a particular question and that was from my chapter called why do why don't threes marry sevens and so it really goes back to something i think tammy started this off with or I don't, oh the quote you were reading right that came out of what this woman said so there is no question i mean maybe you are fortunate and did not have injuries in your childhood that have negatively affected your life but most of us have some variety some different levels of painful experiences in our childhood that we are seeking to either avoid happening in our adult adult life or or trying to uh, figure out in our relationships in our adult life. Um, if I have damage, if I'm struggling with closeness or community or self caring for myself, and I'm talking about partners now, if I emotionally am a three as a partner, which means I'm a little, I have issues. I have problems, but they're a little worse than most people. I am going, and every woman in here knows this. If I have issues and I look, and I really do, not all of you women have issues, but the women who have issues get this right away. If you're an emotional three and kind of a mess and you're thinking, oh, I want that person who's perfect and great and everything I've ever wanted, you're going to see that eight, that person who really has it together and really is what you say you want. And you're going to say that person is boring. I don't want to be, that doesn't interest me at all because you're not an emotional place of feeling like you want to move toward that healthier person. That's, you're not that healthier person. Eights meet eights. You know, that's how it goes. At the other end of it, if you're this reasonably healthy eight, you know, that you're just gifted with genetics and a great family and you're an eight, you would go without, you would go out with one of us and we're threes and fours, and you would say, oh my God, that person is so much drama. They're such a, I would never see them again. So the reality is who are we going to go out with and fall in love with? We're going to go out and fall in love with, with people that we have a similar comfort level around our issues. It's not that different than I'm gonna feel more comfortable dating someone who speaks English because I would have a harder time relating to and growing uh, and building with some uh, beyond our eyes and our sex with someone who speaks Greek. So it isn't that different with our emotional lives. Some people have issues and we are going to meet people who have similar issues because they're the ones that we're gonna most relate to. They're the ones we're re most readily going to fall in love with. That's how it goes. It does not mean, as codependency says, that um, you, per you pick this person for the wrong reasons, that there's something broken or wrong with you that you have to fix, and then you can pick a better person, and that you should distance yourself from this person and learn more about yourself so that you can decide even whether you want to be with them. Codependence doesn't say any of that. So I believe it, it just says that people with similar issues are going to find people with similar issues so that they can, oh, well, there's one more thing while I'm ranting on this. I believe in every part of my being that if you are an emotional four and you have various challenges and you meet an, another emotional four and you fall in love and you get married that the, or, or commit in whatever way, that you both as fours have an opportunity to become fives and sixes and sevens. And you do that better as a couple than you do it individually. I am much more 
I forget I am. I have grown much more as a person in so many ways because I am in a relationship with someone who had equal issues in his childhood and all that to me. But together over 20 years, we are sixes. And when we started, we were not. I do not believe with all the therapy in the world and all the help in the world by myself that I would have become a six. It is by pairing with someone who's similar to me and both of us being committed to growing that we both grew. So, Tammy, I have feelings about this. Can you tell? It did the, I hope that answered the question, but probably took a long time. Is there anything else, Tammy, since you are so familiar with these two concepts that you would say based on the question or that you relate to or people get no, confused about? Well, they get confused and I can understand why. And particularly, you know, th this quote kind of out of context of, you know, the broader chapter, you know, I can I can see. But I really appreciate that you you were like, this is not pathologizing. This is looking at you know, the situation for, you know, what we believe it is and how we can grow together. Again, not making the, I mean, I always have the, you know, you are an enabler, you are codependent, you are, you know, in the pathologizing and wagging your finger, you need to go do your own work, you know, and, and, and like you are messing up this other person and we're going, no, no, we, you know, we really want to help, you know, have a healthy attachment that's supportive that, like you said, the two of them can grow together. But I do want to say, and I want to be very clear, that there is a difference between what is wrong with the addict and what is wrong with partners. You know, we are the ones with the active problem. We are the ones that are out of control and, and struggling and don't have a good enough sense of ourselves to not do really destructive things. We are very broken. And you guys, not in the same way. Look, when you get when you get underneath our behavior, what we've been doing on the surface, and we get underneath your anger and rage and hurt about what we've done, and you get behind that and look you know, to when that never was, most of your relationships have meaningful, intact, important connections that have always been there. So many wives, you know, we run a treatment program called Seeking Integrity, and we do treat male sex addicts and male sex and drug addicts. And one of the most consistent things I hear from the men I work with, you know, is, is this whole issue of how much they've blamed their partners and how much they've made it difficult for their partners and how unfair they were to their partners. But there's nothing wrong with the partners, what, except the fact that you've been abused, you've been let down. So let me try this again. Addicts in treatment need very directive, very containing, very structured, lots of confrontation because they don't see the world the way it is and that's what gets them into trouble. Partners need a tremendous amount of support and hope and education and, and, uh, and understanding. You didn't do this, it happened to you, okay? That is the dynamic of, a, of, a, of an addict person and a recently betrayed spouse but when you get underneath that those issues those most immediate issues not only do you share all of the joy and fun that you have shared but i'm sure you both have a few emotional issues that come from your family that underlie some of the challenges in your relationship if you could work those issues out i'll give you an example i am very controlling and I want to handle everything in my life, in my relationship. I do the bills. I do the, tra the travel planning. I do, I, I organize the help around the house. I mean, everything. And then I can do nothing but complain about how my spouse doesn't take care of me, doesn't support me, 
you know, and you would think, well, why don't I just say here, you do some of this, but you know, the reason because he never does it right. Never does it the way. So this is a marriage. We are both crazy, right? I'm controlling and difficult. He's a little passive aggressive, but we both have issues that every single day of our marriage, we grow and we work on and we move forward. And because we've been together, working on these things together, had we met 25 years ago, I would have been an active sex addict and he would have been the child of a father who was beating him. But 25 years later, we are two people who have grown together, learned together and supported each other through the pain that we both shared with, with different experiences. So I love broken people who love other broken people because I think that's what it's all about. Um, and no, no spouse caused or is responsible for any of the addict's bad behavior. However, it is okay to own that I got my own shit, you got your own shit, we probably landed with each other because we share some shit, but maybe we could make it turn into roses together. And maybe what you see in your broken partner is the opportunity for you to grow because you can sense that they, you guys are aligned toward growth. I'll shut up, Tammy. Well, somebody tagged in in the chat, and I'm trying to keep all the questions, but and we've got a lot of questions, but I think this is relevant. So uh, somebody, a partner says, but lots of us partners don't believe that we came into these relationships with issues. These addicts just looked a lot better to us at the start of the relationship. Yeah, that's not true. Here's the reality about having issues in this kind, and I'll just be really clear. It's not what, so codependency says, Look at back at your childhood traumas. Mom wasn't there. Dad wasn't there. Go through that pain. Experience it. See how that's playing out in your abandonment issues in your spouse. You know, that's basically that. And we say, no, this person is reacting to what's going on and the craziness of what they're experiencing. And that's why they look like that. I'm sorry, I'm looking for the question, Tammy. I wanted to say something more to that. It says, but lots of us, oh, the original question or the chat question? Right, right, right. So- what is wrong with you spouses? You really, really, really want to know? I will tell you. And you can leave or come back. Or, But this is the truth. Many of you spouses grew up in environments where there were things done or things talked about or things were problematic in ways that you just learned were how things were. There are children who grow up in homes where, where they're beaten three times a week. And they just grow up thinking, well, that's how life is. Every kid gets beaten three times a week because that's all they know until they learn more about the world and all of that kind of stuff. So if you grew up in a family that had a profound experience where we don't talk about our problems, we like to look good on the outside, we, we see difficult things going on in our family, but we don't talk about it with each other, we don't even bring it up then I can imagine walking to in a situation where you would see someone fall in love with and care about them, but like you did in childhood, just not be looking for those things. It's not deep pathology being played out into the present. That's codependency. I look at it more like, you know, I I was like all of us. I, I didn't see things when I was first getting to know them. And now I see more and more and more. It's just that those of us who had to survive growing up deliberately not seeing things in order to get through we miss more than other people do. And we end up um, choosing people because we don't see some things about them that relate to things we didn't see when we were growing up. 
And that's a very different concept than there's something wrong with my psyche. There's this trauma produced something in me where I'll always pick the wrong person. If you read that last chapter of Prodependence, I say really clearly that, that codependent people are told, you know, if you get rid of him, unless you work on yourself, you're just going to pick another addict. You're just going to pick another loser because you have to work on yourself. And I would say, you know what? That's true. You will pick another person who has issues. That's what you do. But make sure next time that the person you pick who has issues is already sober. They're already in therapy. You can see that that person in and of themselves is trying to get themselves from a three to a four. That's who I want to be with. The challenge is when we fall for something, someone who's a three or four, just like us, but we don't see, we're not ready to see, and we don't understand that we have to look at um, parts of them that we didn't expect were, were going to be as bad as they are. And then we're five years in and we realize that there were things we did, just didn't see that now are really important to us. Um, or, or some of us don't see them until they get thrown at us. So am I saying we have issues always? It's, I wrote a whole chapter about it. Um, and why do we have similar issues? Lots of reasons. But I will go back to, um, if I choose a partner who's on the way up, who's doing, who tells me I've been struggling, I haven't, do, this is what's going on with me, who I see really trying to be a better person. They're not complaining about going to therapy or they're not whining about what their issues are, but they're very open to talking about them and working on them then I'm attracted to and want to engage with that person, not only because they feel right to me, but because I like where they're going. How many people have you gotten involved with who you thought were terrific, only to learn that they were horrible? And why is that? Because they had their horribleness really, really well. And what you didn't have eyesight for is that you might pick someone who was vulnerable. And what you needed to look for was to make sure that they were already headed toward healing. So, I've said way too much about all that, Tammy. No, that was, I appreciate it. That was really useful. And we've got a whole bunch of questions. So we're going to change topics now. Hello, I'm a single male and still have sexual needs, but I often seek them with escorts. Does this make me a sex addict? Well, great question. Um, there are kind of two different questions in there. So sex worker, sex addict. So let me tell you how, how I would define addiction for, I don't know how old this person is, but I'm going to assume, you know, probably not married, probably a little bit younger. So um, am I a sex addict? Who you see for sex, what you do for sex, the kind of sex you have has nothing to do with sex addiction. I can see sex workers or I can go to strip clubs or I can look at porn. Um, I can... Uh, uh, have affairs, you know, all of that may or may not be good behavior, may or may not reflect, you know, great things about me, but it doesn't make me an addict. What makes me an addict are three or four things. One, that I'm obsessed with something, that it is the primary focus of my life. The most important thing to me, if I was a, a you, would be when am I going to hook up with the next woman? Do, how many of them do I have connection to? Uh, where do I go online if I need one right away? And I'm doing that and thinking about that and involved with that when I might be focusing on work or my education or meeting the right person I am, or, or dealing with my feelings about a problem. I've just, or dealing with my loneliness. 
Um, by the way, lonely men who use a lot of porn or use a lot of sex workers aren't really dealing with their loneliness because they have an outlet for feeling better and less alone. Um, so the kind of sex you have and who you have sex with and how frequently you have it has nothing to do with addiction. Those are all different issues. What is addiction is, is it an obsession? Are you having consequences? Like someone was upset or you had a problem at work or you didn't have the money for other things you wanted to do because you, you know, actual, or you just really hated yourself and you really wanted to change, but you forgot about all kinds of consequences. So in third sign, you're obsessed, you have consequences. And even though you've had consequences and you know what they are, you just keep doing it. You know, that is addiction. Your life has, and the largest way to say that is the, your life is less functional because of what you're involved with. Lots of people drink, they drink all the time, but it doesn't affect their marriages, their work, their family, their parenting. But some people drink who are passed out when they get home and are not available to their children. Some people drink and start drinking in the morning, whole different set of circumstances. So great question. I would not judge the behavior. I would judge your relationship with the behavior. But really quickly about sex workers. I think there is something about the man who chooses to see sex workers and not be intimate and not grow relationships and not um, work on deeper connection because it's fine to go do that. I have no judgment. You can do it as much as you want. But my hope is that you're dating more then you're going to see sex workers, that you're working on intimacy with friends and hanging out and having fun with friends and doing things that are meaningful to your life. I hope you're doing more of that than you are seeing sex workers. I hope you're spending more money on the things you really could be enjoyed in life than you are on sex workers. To me, that would be kind of a sign that I have a problem, which is this is more important to me than the rest of my life. Go ahead, Tammy. I that was my biggest part part of it was like second part. if you're just yeah if you're if that's all you're doing you're not connected it's just you know body functions so okay and one more one more thing about that and I know I'm being overly loquacious and thank you Tammy for but the person who's seeing a lot of sex workers pardon me the word I would have for that is control mm -hmm. that you know, you don't have to worry about it being abandoned. You don't have to be worried about letting let down. You don't have to be worried about leaving when you're done or you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about being rejected. You are in complete control of those circumstances. So that is a lot safer emotionally than it is to be with someone that you're getting to know. And maybe they'll like you, maybe they won't, maybe you'll make a mistake. You know, it's, it, it may, you know, maybe they will, it's all, a crapshoot when you're actually getting to know someone and uh, and date. That's terrifying. And what a lot of people don't understand about sex addiction is, especially your spouses are saying, I'm right here. I, I, I could be available to you. I, I could be intimate. We could be close. We could have sex. We are running away from that. We're not running toward that. And so the person who regularly sees sex workers is, is also running away from something. I'm just not sure what that is. I actually had a partner that reached out and said that her male husband was having sex with a, his affair partner because he still needed sex and attachment but he had been separated from her and i'm like she's right there for you you're missing the point so anyway well this is the hardest part for partners by the way is i was right here i was loving you all along my arms were open to you and in fact i'll just can i share a little story about Please. that i'll be really quick um in treatment at seeking integrity one of the things that we do is we we have the spouses, the partners, uh, write their words and experiences of what they had been through. 
Um, and we read that in treatment. So when I'm sitting with a married man, well, I'm sitting with a bunch of guys, but I get this letter from that guy's partner or wife, which is about their experience, what they went through. You know, you did this to me, you did that to me, you left me here, you left me there. Um, it's a very important part of opening the door to them really getting the work they need to get done. So Tammy, how could I live with you without your helping me with my Alzheimer's? I so appreciate that. Um, or my early senile dementia. But just like my grandmother who used to look at me and my name is Robert and she used to say, Frank, Joe, Mary. And then she'd finally get to Robert. I think I've reached that stage. Um, but let me say something. There's a question here about porn. Um, well, I'm, are you ready for the next question? Because I felt like- No, I want to finish answering that question. Okay. I okay. want to finish answering that question, but okay. review, but again, give me the, stop. Tell my, me what the issue Okay, my comment was there's a male addict who's out having sex with his affair partner because he needs sex and his wife has been separated from him. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And he's going, I don't care about what you want. I care about, I want sex. So- it was the, and you so, said, and partners are so, sitting so with I, their arms wide okay, open. So, okay. Thank you. It's been a long day. So I was sitting with one of our uh, clients at the group at Seeking Integrity and uh, recently, and we were reading one of the letters from a spouse. And she described the sexual issue that he had come to treatment for. You know, I'm not going to give any details. In other words, she said, because she knows now, you know, now she knows, and they've been married a while, and now she knows. And so she was very angry, obviously, about finding this out five years later, or nine years later. Why did you tell me before we got married and all that stuff? But the most poignant piece of the letter really goes to your question and a lot of your questions, you know, and pain, I think. She said to him, you know, if you just told me, maybe I could have helped you. Maybe I could have helped you work through this. I wish you had trusted me enough to let me love you enough that even though I would have been hurt or upset or whatever it was, that I would have stuck by you and made this work because I love you and I want you to get better. But by denying me the truth and hiding behind your secrets, you left out an opportunity years ago for us to get so much closer. And now you've left me with this atom bomb in my life. And I hope that's useful, Tammy. It was, I really wanted to get that out. So thank you so much. And I think we should move on. Okay, that was worth worth the wait. Okay, next question. Love addict here. So some people were my drug of choice. Now with being in recovery and changing because of it, suddenly many people have left my life, their choice or my choice or a slow distancing. I'm alone using a lot of online resources. Is this common with recovery from being addicted to love and people and relationships? And they add PS, I know it must be common, but how do I cope? This is the question. So what do you think they mean by, is this um, using a lot, a lot of online resources? What do you think that I means? I think like this type of thing. So I think they're connecting with online resources, but feeling really, al I'm alone. You know, I'm alone because people have left my life, their choice, my choice. How do I okay. build connections and healthy relationships when people were my addiction? Well, if you're a woman make some women friends who you're not sexually attracted to. And if you're a man, make some male friends you're not sexually attracted to because the best place to start without worrying about your love addiction coming up is with someone you're not particularly attracted to, but you really, you know, and this, we have a term, I, I think the video is coming up somewhere because it was talked about recently. I know with our clients, this term mother hunger, 
you know, and I think, in fact, Tammy, you nodded your head so much. Say something about that, because you hear about that all the time. Well, I did. So Kelly McDaniel was on Super Saturday Recovery Summit. I did put the video uh, link in the chat. Uh, so, and I'm, well, I'd be happy to share it with people, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. But that video won't be posted till later this week. But Kelly McDaniel wrote a book about mother hunger. And it's she talks more about it for females, but she did address it with males as well. So, um, but that hole in your soul, that wound, um, you know, from that, uh, that, that experience of, of wanting to connect, you know, for a mother, you know, that wasn't available for whatever reasons, like you talked about a little bit ago, whether, you know, it's addiction or you just didn't have the capacity to do so. So, um, but she's found that that's really at, you know, so much of the root of, of an addiction issue. Yeah, I wanted to add something to this question, if you don't mind, is that I don't, I, I know that we dismiss something that goes in our lives every day, and we get so used to it that we forget to include it. But we're all very alone right now. All of us. People say to me, you know, and they still say it, what do you do tonight? <laughs> and I have to keep myself from being sarcastic and saying, well, let's see, I'm going out to dinner and then I'm going to have fun with friends and then we're going to the theater and afterwards we're going to have a drink. It's like, you know, we're all lonely. I long for so many friends, for so many connections, how much I would like to go to a real live support group instead of sitting in these rooms. And I love, and we support and, and do so much online for people. I hope that, that you get contact to all the things that we make available to you for free. But I'd like hug someone other than my husband. And if I were alone and single, I can only imagine how, what a difficult time this would be. So where are you going to find people online? How are you going to connect online? You know, and, and I have friends who are trying to figure out how do I date during COVID? And, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, Tammy, but I'm not sure who it was. It was Esther Perel or one of those famous sexologists wrote, I think I'm sure it was Esther Perel. And she wrote about, Oh, no, you know, it was, it was Helen Fisher. It was Dr. Helen Fisher. I did a podcast with her. That's how I remember this coming up. And she talked about dating during COVID was actually a tremendous gift because it, if you were respecting health laws or health, common sense health, then you actually really have to get to know someone. You can't just run over their house. You, you don't know if, if they went out today. And so you are forced to have to spend at least enough time in this situation to really know their lives and what they're doing before you might even go over, the, go over and sit on a lawn and talk to them, you know? So it's interesting that the point of slowing down um, is really what it's all about. I think it's great that you're checking in with people unless you're sexting and tech, you know, and you've gotten to that place, which, you know, of course is going to be a problem for all the folks here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.